let's get after it. Hey, if you have a Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 is where we'll be. Um, we are starting a new sermon series this morning, and we're going to be preaching through the book of Hebrews. Uh, so this is something that we do here often uh, at FC Cube. We will pick a book of the Bible, and then we will go through it line by line, verse by verse. Uh, so at my time here, we've done Ephesians, Philippians, uh, we did First John, and this summer we did Micah. Uh, and we'll start Hebrews up this morning. Uh, Hebrews is a fairly long book, so it might take us a while. Um, I'll say this as an introduction. Uh, I preach out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, and so that'll be what's up behind me as well. Um, there's nothing wrong with other translations. Sometimes I'll make fun of them, um, but don't be embarrassed or anything like that. Uh, there's good things for almost all translations. Um, we preach through books of the Bible at a time and kind of go through it systematically and intentionally um, for a few different reasons. One of which is we, we firmly believe that the scriptures, the Bible, was given to us by God, was God-breathed, God-inspired to equip us, His church, for the good works that He has in advance for us to do. So, so I don't think my job as the pastor of First Colony is to be creative and motivate you to somehow um, do and, and accomplish what God wants you to do and to accomplish, but instead to just point you to the scriptures that are there to equip you, to get you ready. So I, I believe you and I will be who we're called to be if we study the scriptures. Uh, another reason we, we walk through books of the Bible um, is because it, it forces me to preach on things uh, that I wouldn't otherwise preach on. Um, and so there are certain topics. I mean, if I was doing just three-week series over and over and over again, there are certain things that I would never talk about um, that are uncomfortable or controversial. I'll give you an example when, when I first became pastor here about two years ago, we were going through Ephesians. And in Ephesians 5, there's a passage on marriage. Um, well, as a 20-year-old at the time, um, not married, speaking to people who, who mostly were married, that's just not a topic I wanted to, to broach. Um, that's not a topic I was comfortable preaching. But you're going through a text, and, and so you have to preach what the Scriptures say. Um, and then also we, we firmly believe that for you and I to, to be healthy in our Christian life, there needs to be regular and rhythmic study and application of the Scriptures. And so we want to model that as a church, where we come every Sunday and walk through the Bible. So even when we're not going through the book of the Bible, you'll come and, and I'll start every sermon with, let's get after it, open up your Bibles to this, and then we'll go to a passage and we'll walk through it. Because um, we want to be about the scriptures and allow them to shape us. So we're starting Hebrews, and we'll be in it for a few months. Um, it might be one of our longer series. We might take a break, uh, depending on, on kind of the pace and the momentum we have going for us. Uh, Hebrews can be a hard book to understand. Uh, so it's not preached that much. Um, we'll see as we walk through Hebrews, there's a lot of Old Testament. Um, so really, uh, there's, there's a ton of quotations and things built off of the Old Testament. And that is foreign to us um, as Western Christians. I mean, the Old Testament is very far from us. Uh, so it's difficult in that regard. Um, also, there's, there's quite a bit about animal sacrifice. Um, just real quick, has anyone seen an animal sacrifice? Like, has anyone been present? One person, yeah. That's, I mean, it's foreign to us. I mean, we've never been in the room or, or present when an animal was killed uh, to somehow please God. And, and so Hebrews is, is built, a lot of that is built off of that. And so there's some concepts that are going to be difficult for us to wrestle with. Um, but we're going to walk through it. I want to invite you um, to spend these next few months really digging into Hebrews. I want to invite you to study it with us, to, to really grasp. Um, and feed on what the scripture would have to say to us. Uh, we have a resource that we're going to be recommending for our series. Uh, it's a commentary series um, by N.T. Wright, um, who is one of my favorite authors. He, he made a commentary series 
called for everyone. Uh, and so he takes um, good scholarship, but puts it down to a popular audience for you and I to understand. And so he'll go through a passage and tell a story and then talk about some meanings that we can get from the text. I have my copy out there. You can flip through it. Uh, if you'd like to order it, we'll get it for you this week, $10 each. Uh, and you can look through that there. Um, but we're going to be walking through Hebrews very um, intently, very systematically. And I want to invite you to study it with us. Um, I think Hebrews is going to be a very powerful time in our church's life. And I think it's going to be very practical for us um, for a few reasons. One of which we already mentioned, because of the Old Testament. Um, we preached through Micah this summer, and so we were starting to get familiar with Old Testament concepts and themes. Um, and it's so important for us to understand um, the Old Testament, understand um, what God was doing back in that time. Because really, I mean, if you try to understand who Jesus is and, and what the New Testament says... Without an Old Testament background, I mean, it's like watching the third Lord of the Rings without watching the first two. I mean, you're just missing out on a whole lot of references and richness and depth. Um, it's just not a good idea. Watch all three series. I know they're long. Just watch them. Um, so we want to we we constantly be familiar with the Old Testament. And this is going to force us to do that as we, we wrestle through um, what the author of Hebrews is saying. Uh, we'll also see, particularly this morning right from the gate, um, that it is a Christ-centered book. Um, Hebrews is all about Jesus, uh, which is always a good thing for a church. Um, you and I, we exist to be about Jesus for his glory, for his name, to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And then lastly, uh, Hebrews was written, um, so we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, it probably wasn't Paul. Um, I have some ideas. If, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, we can talk about it later. Uh, we don't know exactly who it was written to either, but we know that Hebrews was written to a group of Christians whom the author thought were maybe in danger of falling away who maybe were getting lethargic in their faith and were, were in, in danger, were, were being tempted with, with walking away from their faith. Um, so I don't think that's quite our danger um, in Sugarland, Texas uh, in 2011, but I think we have a, a similar danger. Um, for you and I, I don't think we're, most of us are faced with that choice of saying, I'm done and I'm walking away. Instead, what happens to us, I've seen it over and over and over again, is by getting distracted or just caught up in other things, we die a slow but steady spiritual death without ever noticing. So we don't walk away in a big dramatic fashion where we say, I'm done. But we wake up in 15 years and go, how did I, how did I get here? I mean, how did this happen? So Hebrews over and over again is going to go, wake up, pay attention, persevere, know who you're serving, why you're serving him, be focused on him. So it's going to be a great book for us to study. Um, Hebrews calls itself, uh, in chapter 13, verse 22, a word of exhortation, um, which we see in Acts is an uh, idiom. It's just a way of talking about a sermon. So Hebrews starts like a sermon and ends like a letter. Um, it's kind of got uh, identity crisis going on. Um, and we'll, for our purposes, consider it a sermon. Consider it something to be preached. Um, if you have been here for a while, you know that I like to preach through sermons. Um, so we went through 1 John, which is just like a sermon. Uh, we went through Micah, which is just a collection of sermons. Um, it's real easy to preach through a sermon. You've already gotten kind of the outline for you. You just kind of walk through it. Um, and so we're going to dive into Hebrews. And, and with any book um, in our scriptures, the best way to know it is to read it, to study it. And so we're going to jump in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And I think there's some deep truths for us this morning as we start our study. We'll pick it up, Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, let's stop there. Um, the first big truth Hebrews gives us is that our God is a God who speaks. 
He's a God who speaks. And so we can't, I don't want you to gloss over this because this is a beautiful truth. Um, I think we naturally operate in a deist kind of viewpoint where we imagine that God is far from us. And so God is very far away and not that concerned with day-to-day affairs, with our lives, um, with what's happening here on earth. And so I can prove this to you because um, if you thought God was closer and more involved, you would probably pray more. You'd probably think about him more. The fact that so many of us, I mean, our prayer lives are non-existent indicates to me, I mean, we just naturally view God as far away. I mean, he's just a far away off kind of God. But the scriptures, um, they, they say quite the opposite. Um, from the beginning, God is seen as speaking to his people. So in Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve fall away. They, they sin, they disobey. And what does God do? He comes to them and he says, where are you? He speaks to them. Notice that. Catch that. So, I mean, when I was a child um, and I was mad at, at one of my family members, I would give them the silent treatment. You know, I'd or Dwight Schrute, shun, unshun. Um, <laughs> like, half of y'all got that reference. It's from The Office. Um, I've never actually watched The Office, but a sinful friend of mine uh, told me. <laughs> um, so I would give them the silent treatment. It actually backfired. I found out later that they would, I mean, I talked so much as a kid, they would make me upset on purpose uh, just so that I would give them the silent treatment. Um, but in just three, you see, God is, is not giving creation the silent treatment. They sin, they disobey, they walk away from him. And catch this, he comes to them. He searches for them. He presses in, he draws near and says, let's talk. This is beautiful news for you and I. It means we're not left in the dark to understand who God is or who we are or what God expects of us. When communication, I mean, between two people is, is non-existent or doesn't work right, it's not effective, all kinds of things start to break. All kinds of things start to, to go awry. Um, so despair, loneliness, anger, frustration, those things set in. Um, I learned the importance of, of effective communication um, as I formed a relationship with an eight-year-old with autism uh, who's nonverbal. So he doesn't speak. Uh, so two summers ago, I was his counselor at a, at a camp. Um, and I was given the task of taking care of him and having fun with him. And he wasn't able to use words. And so you learn right away um, big problems. I mean, that's a red flag. It's very hard to, to communicate with someone without words. It's very hard to learn what they like. It's very hard to have fun with them. And it's very easy for, for one or both of those people to get real frustrated real fast. So he's frustrated because he doesn't want to do this, but he can't tell me. I'm frustrated because he's not participating in what I think he wants to do. And so you've got to learn. I mean, we had to walk slowly through looking at body language and finding other ways to communicate. But if, you, if you're not communicating right, I mean, a lot of things break apart. And the scriptures say that God has, for a long time, been in conversation with us. That he's been in conversation with his people for ages. He says what? In many times and in many ways, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. So he found men and women whom he decided to speak to his creation through. So he came to Moses and he said, hey, I want to communicate to my creation that I'm a God who frees that I'm a God who saves and redeems. And he gives Moses the law and he says, hey, I'm trying to communicate to my creation that I'm a God who has certain expectations for my people, that this is how you live as my people. And he came to David and he says, I want to teach my people that I'm a king, I'm a warrior, I'm a protector. And he comes to Micah and he says, I want to teach my people that I'm concerned about justice. I'm concerned about right living. 
He's been in conversation. He's been, from the beginning, pressing in, revealing himself to you and I, to his people. I love that it says, even here, in, in many times and in many ways. Like, like, if you look at how God has revealed himself, if you look at how God has revealed himself throughout time, um, there's lots of different ways that he's done it. So sometimes he'll, he'll come and he'll, um, with poetry, be real gentle and real sweet. And he'll say, hey, my beloved, I love you. Don't cheat on me. Be with me. And then other times he'll, he'll come through a prophet and he'll be like, hey, idiot, shape up. What are you doing? Pay attention. I mean, there's all these different ways that God is coming and revealing himself. But Hebrew says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, through his son. This phrase here, in the last days, um, is the same phrase that you would find in the Old Testament. Um, for instance, in Micah 4.1, uh, where it says, in the latter days, it will come to pass um, that the temple will be built up. You see that the Israelites, the, the Hebrews, they had this longing, they had this hope that at one time God would fulfill all the promises he had made to them. Promises of redeeming creation, of rescuing his people, of starting up his kingdom. Hebrews is saying that time is now. Those last days are here. God is now fulfilling his promises. And he's doing it through his son, through Jesus. So in a sense, um, God has perfected his message through the son. We'll see as we continue on in this passage that the son is the ultimate. He's the final. He's the complete revelation of who God is. So in all these ways throughout history, he's been giving shadows and whispers of who he is. And now through his son, Jesus He's given us the reality. This is who God is. This is who we are. This is what he expects of us. God has spoken to us by his son. As we continue reading here in Hebrews, um, the author is going to give us seven facts about the son, about Jesus. Um, And the facts are, uh, if I could diagram them out for you, they're kind of in a circle. Uh, And so what we have here, these seven facts are three truth pairs, three um, themes that he says twice, and then one accomplishment. Uh, So we're going to start, I'll read through them, and then we'll start from the middle, um, which is where the emphasis is. Uh, He says this about his son. Verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You have three truth pairs here and then one accomplishment. If you look in verse 3, I want to show you the center of this kind of circle of statements. He says this, He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What he's saying is that Jesus is the exact revelation of the Son of God. That he, when we see Jesus, catch this, when we see Jesus, we see God. When we see Jesus, we we see God. So he he says two things here. He's the the radiance of the glory of God. The the image here is of light shining forth. And so you've got the glory of God, and then you have Jesus who's the radiance. He's, He's coming to meet us with it. We see his rays meet us. It's like the sun sends out rays and light. In Christ, God's glory has shown to us. And then he's the exact imprint of his nature the image here in the ancient world there weren't um 
printing presses or things like that. And so um, if you wanted to, to make something official for a king, um, what you would do is you would take a stamp or a pattern that was made and you would get some, some soft metal, some, some heated up metal, and you would, you'd make a stamp. You would print it. And what they would call this is a character. And that's the word used here in the Greek. He is the character of the nature of God. He's the exact imprint. What you would get when you, when you remove the stamp, that metal would heat up. It would harden. And then you'd have the imprint. You'd have the, the exact representation of it. He says, that's what we have with the Son. We have the very nature of God right in front of us. This is all throughout the New Testament. So in, in John 1, he says that the Word, the Son, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Father. That Jesus, God incarnate and fleshed among us, was God walking among us. And when you see Jesus, you see God. I mean, I've said this all the time here. The truth of the incarnation, that God became man and dwelt among us, is not so much that when you see Jesus, you see what, or when you see God, you see what Jesus is like. So, so the truth is not that Jesus is like God. We'll say it like that. The truth is not that Jesus is like God as much as that God is like Jesus. God has revealed himself in the Son, which sheds, I mean, a whole lot of weight on the Gospels. When you, when you see Jesus reacting to certain things, the well, scriptures say you're seeing God reacting. When he says this, you're seeing God say this. When you see Jesus forgiving the people that killed him, when you see him taking the woman caught in adultery and forgiving them, you're learning that in your darkest moment, God does not have wrath for you, but mercy. When you see Jesus talking to religious people who had outward appearances but no inner transformation, you see how God views those things. He's the exact representation of who God is, which, I mean, makes him uniquely qualified to be the ultimate revelation of God. I mean, you've had these shadows and these whispers that this is who God is, but now in the Son, we've seen him perfectly. He's spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us. The, the Hebrews, um, the, the people this letter was written to, had not known Jesus during their lifetime. And so we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but they, they didn't live with Jesus. They didn't walk with him. They didn't hear him preach. They didn't see him perform miracles. It was a lot like you and I. I mean, we, we weren't there for that. So we rely on the testimony of the apostles and the earliest Christians who were there. This is what Jesus did. This is what he said. This is what he was like. And we trust that when we see that, we're seeing God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Now, that's the middle. And if you walk outside just a little bit, the statement in front of it and behind it, he says this at the end of verse 2. Through whom also he created the world. Then if you look again behind it, he says this in verse 3. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So if the sinner is talking about kind of Jesus in relationship to God, now he's talking about Jesus in relationship to creation. He says what? He's the creator and the sustainer. He's created all things through whom God created the world. And then he upholds all things by the power, the power of his word. Well, the scriptures, again, are clear in the New Testament that when God created all things, he did so through Jesus, through his word. That when he spoke things into existence, somehow he, he did that through Jesus. So big things, I mean, galaxies, stars, mountains, 
the Grand Canyon, those things were created by Jesus. And then small things, like I'm not, a, I'm not very good at science or biology, but I know that like if I look at my arm, I mean, there's lots of small things involved. Like there's atoms and molecules and things like that. So you at one time Jesus created those things. And it's interesting that in the scriptures, um, God, Jesus creates out of nothing. So he speaks it into existence, which if we'll notice, is different than how you and I create. When, when I create something, what I'm really doing is rearranging things that already exist. I mean, I'm just organizing things. Um, so I think like last week, two weeks ago, Boy Scouts had their pine car derby race. Um, so when you make a car out of a, a, a block of wood, I mean, you're not creating so much as you're just reshaping, right? I mean, you're taking what's already there and rearranging it. Well, that's not how God creates. He doesn't go, I want to create the earth, so I'll get some material from here, some material from here, and I'll put it together, and there you've got the earth. There's nothing, and he says, there's the earth. I mean, his creation is a little bit different than ours. And the said, he created all things, the Son, Jesus. But not only does he create, but then he sustains it. He says he upholds all things by the power of his word. So once again, sometimes we like to think of God creating and then stepping back from his creation. Kind of winding up the watch and then letting it go on its own. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that God is very intimately involved with his creation. So um, in the Old Testament, they'll say things like, He causes the grass to grow. That he feeds the young lions. I mean, that he's actively involved with the day-to-day affairs of the earth. Then in the New Testament, you have phrases like this, where Jesus holds all things together. Where he's sustaining all things. What the scriptures are teaching here is that the reason the sun came up this morning... It's because Jesus wanted the sun to come up this morning. The reason that your heart and my heart are beating regularly is because Jesus is actively holding those things together and willing them. He hasn't started creation and then stepped back from it. He's sustaining it. And so you're starting to see this huge majestic picture of who Jesus is according to Hebrews. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Now, if we step back again and look at the beginning of these seven statements and the very end of these seven statements, it says this. In verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Then again, if we look at the end of verse 3, it says this, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. The third truth pair is that Jesus is the promised king. Um, and so these two statements um, come from two psalms uh, that are very, very often used in the New Testament. So we'll become familiar with these two psalms as we go through Hebrews because he'll make points off of them consistently. Um, the psalms are Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. Here in verse 2, he quotes Psalm 2.8, um, and then later on at the end of verse 3, he quotes Psalm 110.1. Um, and, and Psalm 2, um, he's quoting from verse 8. Psalm 2 is a, a psalm about the king. It's a song about um, the king who the, the Jews expected to come and to fulfill God's purposes, to, to deliver on his promises and to inaugurate God's kingdom. And in Psalm 2, I mean, go read it this week. It's a great psalm. Um, there's four scenes in Psalm 2. The first scene is the nations and rulers plotting against God. And so they're mumbling and they're plotting and they're trying to overthrow God's reign. And then the second scene is God laughing at them. And that's what it says. God is laughing at them. He's mocking them. And he's saying, look, I've set my king up. He will reign. 
The third scene is the king talking about um, God's decision, God's anointing. So he says, um, this, the, the father has forgotten me. He said, today you are my son. You will reign. Ask and I'll give the nations as your inheritance. Before we get this, ask and, and the world will be yours. You'll be the heir of all things. And then the fourth scene is just a... Um, a warning, a piece of wisdom to the rulers, to the nations, to serve the Son, to, to worship the Son, to respect the Son. But here he's saying this, that Jesus is the King. He's the one Psalm 2 spoke of. He's the one who now owns rightfully everything, who's been given the entire universe as his inheritance. And then in verse 3 he says, He's sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is out of Psalm 110, which is a psalm about God establishing a king, a lord, and then saying, sit at my right hand, which is a place of honor, it's a place of supremacy, until I make all your enemies your footstool. The, the New Testament, Paul would say that the last enemy to be destroyed is, is death itself. And that when, when all is fulfilled, when Christ returns, death itself is the last enemy to be destroyed and for Christ to use as a footstool. But for now, Hebrews says he's, he's enthroned as the king of all creation. It's such a beautiful truth. I mean, we sang it at the beginning of our service. Sing to the king, the one who reigns. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand that right now, Jesus is the king of all creation. Because, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of stuff that's happening that seems like he's not in control. I mean, if he was in control... Why would those, when we talk about a king and the peace and the justice that a king brings, but we look around and we see injustice. We see things that aren't peaceful. So it's, it's, it's sometimes hard for us to grasp the reality of the New Testament, which is that Christ reigns, that he is king, that he's in complete control. And now for sure, his reign is not fully established. And we have a role in that and we expect and wait for that. Matthew 28, one of my favorite passages, Jesus comes to the disciples and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He comes and says, I've got the reins. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So as Christians, we celebrate that. And here, the author is highlighting that, that he is the king. Now, kind of holding all of this together, um, is one phrase in verse 3 that talks about an accomplishment that Jesus um, Established that he accomplished. Uh, look at it, and the end of verse 3 says this After making purification for sins. After making purification for sins, um, Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins. Hebrews is going to talk a lot about this, about his sacrifice for us. So we move from kind of these huge cosmic global functions to kind of his personal relationship with you and I, his creatures, his people. That on the cross, Jesus died, he sacrificed, he spilt his blood for our sins. The idea here is that our sin, the, the, the way that we've turned away from God, has in a sense defiled us. It's made us impure. It's, it's made us dirty. And so every now and then we get a glimpse into that, right? And, and we just feel the weight of our shame. And we feel the weight of, of being dirty and defiled and impure and not worthy of being in front of God. And the scriptures say that, that Christ sacrificed himself. That he made purification for our sins. Notice here, this is the same person who created all things. Who sustains them all. Who's the exact imprint of God's character. Who's the king. 
It's the same one who died on a cross, who loved you and I so much that he gave up his own life. I mean, you have this glorious, majestic picture of who Jesus is. Then if you, you keep reading in verse 4 here. The Son, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. So we'll talk a lot about angels um, next week as the author of Hebrews um, talks about them more. Um, but for now, know that angels were, were considered um, the divine messengers of God. Uh, and so as opposed to the prophets who were human mouthpieces, human messengers... Um, angels were considered supernatural or divine messengers. Uh, we'll see next week um, that they thought that the angels actually brought the law from God um, to humans. They were the divine messengers. And, and Hebrews is saying that Jesus is greater than even the divine messengers. He's talking again about this revelation that God has through Jesus spoken to his creation. And he's received a name that's even higher than the angel's name. Because of this, because of who Jesus is and how God has spoken through him... All revelations of God must be compared to the way that God has revealed himself in Jesus. So, God still speaks to us. He still reveals himself to us um, in many ways, um, at many times. Um, but all of them, in the end of the day, have to be matched up to who God is in Jesus. Every single one of them. Like for me, and I think this is universal, but a week of serving... Like a week of getting away from my comfort and getting away from my normal and just serving other people, meeting others' needs. I mean, there's something that happens in that week where he speaks and speaks and speaks and he moves in my heart and he encourages me and he teaches me about himself. He teaches me about me. He teaches me about the gospel. And, and, and there's all these different ways that God speaks to you and I, that he comes close. And, and those things are great and they're good. But listen, at the end of the day, they have to be compared do they match up to who God is in Jesus? Do they match up to the words that this Jewish carpenter, this prophet, said? Do they match up to his sacrifice on the cross? And if they don't, then they're not right. If they don't, then, then maybe you've imagined that revelation. Like, it's, it's great... And I, I think a lot of Christians are, are looking for new revelation constantly. <coughs> They're looking for new revelation, for God to speak and show them new things. When, when sometimes we've missed out on the revelation. When sometimes we've missed out on, on the fact that God has spoken in His Son. That when we see Him, we see God. We have a perfect picture, a perfect revelation of who God is. But this is the, the picture that Hebrews paints as the book starts off. It's a picture of time being fulfilled, of God enacting His promises through His Son. A son who has a name greater than any other name. Who's the exact imprint of God himself. The creator, sustainer of all things. The king enthroned on high. You and I should be overwhelmed at the person and work of Jesus. We should be overwhelmed. So what I want this morning, what I wanted to accomplish as we start off Hebrews, is simply... For us to see Jesus for who he is. Because this is how Hebrews starts. He, he wants to remind his readers, his hearers. He, he's trying to get them to persevere, to be faithful. And he, he just wants them to take a second and realize that this is who Jesus is. Because I think so often, and, and myself included, maybe without even thinking about it, we trivialize Jesus. 
I mean, we, we kind of bore them down, and, you know, Jesus is my friend. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus is more than your friend. I mean, he's more than your buddy who lives on the street. The scriptures say he's, he's the imprint of God. He's the king. He's the creator, the sustainer. I want to read you. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I want to read you um, from a passage from Revelation chapter 1. I just want you to listen to this. Um, in Revelation, this is John um, encountering the risen Jesus. And so sometimes this is misunderstood as a future vision here in chapter 1. This is present. John just gets a glimpse into what's happening right now. And he sees Jesus. And I want you to hear how he describes Jesus. And I want you to, to, to hear his response. So here we go. Just, just listen. Revelation 1, I'll pick up verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And then listen to John's reaction here. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. And then Jesus, he, he lays his right hand on John and says, Fear not, I'm the first, the last, the living one. I died, but behold, I'm alive forever. And I have the keys to death and to Hades. But I think if you and I were to actually see Jesus right now, as he's, say he's surrounded by heavenly hosts, praising him, screaming out his name, if we were to see that, like if we just got one glimpse of that, I think the only reaction you find in scripture is that we would fall I mean, our hearts would stop beating. We'd fall down like we were dead. And so, so, so often we, I mean, we, we trivialize them, maybe without even trying, but we, we come and we sing songs and we, we do all these things without actually thinking about who is Jesus? I mean, who is he? How, what has he done? What does he mean to us? I mean, if we really understood what we were singing and we said, holy is our Lord, the God whose face is bright. Holy is our King of birth and morning light. If we understood those words and at the very core of what they mean, we wouldn't be standing there just kind of singing. I mean, we'd be dancing. And we'd be crying out. And if I, if I understood what I was saying when I uttered the word Jesus, I mean, if I really understood, like had a true glimpse, I wouldn't be standing in front of you talking like I am now. I'd be on my knees, on my face, with tears, and with a voice that's barely audible. So this morning, I just want us to, to see Jesus for who he is. I mean, to see him in all of his power, and all of his majesty. And when you see Jesus, a couple things happen. One, worship occurs. I mean, you just start to worship. You say, he's worthy. And you... You, you see your own sin. You see yourself and you, you repent and you walk away from that. And then also you're, you're moved to faith. 
We need to trust, to follow, to serve. So as Hebrews starts off, he celebrates who Jesus is, what he's done. This morning I want us to take a second and see him. Take stock of what he's done. That the creator, sustainer of all things, purified our sins, your sins. That he is right now enthroned as king and we're his. And then to just let that vision work on our hearts and work on our minds. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your scriptures and I thank you for your word. I pray um, that this morning um, you would speak to us, um, you would show us the incomparable name and worth of your son, um, the great things that you've accomplished through him, the way that you've redeemed us and saved us, made us yours. Father, I pray that those things wouldn't be small things that we can easily ignore or get over that they would consume us and change us. I pray, Father, as we seek you together, that you would reveal yourself to us, that as you've done for the ages, you'd speak and draw in and press. We need you. Show us who you are. Help our worship to be powerful in the core of who we are. Help our repentance to be intense. Help our faith to be strong. Help us to know and to love you. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.